You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It is Thursday, September the 9th. I'm away from home today at the Goffs Yorton Sale, a pioneering auction that was set up by the Yorton founder, Dave Futter, a few years back. And we'll be hearing from the Goffs auctioneer, George Stanners, later in the programme to tell you a little bit more about it. But eyes everywhere this week around the racing world. In the UK, as the Kazoos and Ledger Festival hots up, 10 have been declared for the big race on Saturday. Hurricane Lane, the favourite in there, of course, as well. But half the field, saddled by Aidan O'Brien or his son, Donica, and all of those with cheap pieces or blinkers so there will be no hiding place for the St Ledger favourite we're looking forward to the Irish Champion Stakes on Saturday Irish Champions Weekend of course where Ryan Moore will be on duty on St Mark's Basilica and others for Bally Doyle which leaves Frankie de Tory to renew his association with the runaway Oaks heroine Snowfall as she trials for the arc in the Prevail May and what a weekend of arc trials it is as well as we build up towards Europe's premier all-age middle distance race the Qatar Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe on the first Sunday in October. And with that in mind, and a p- important announcements coming out of France this week about COVID protocols, visiting Paris, Lanchard, and also about increased price money levels, I thought this was a good opportunity to catch up with the chief executive of France Gallo, Olivier Delois. Later in this interview, Olivier is fascinating about the paucity of top-class horses coming out of France at the moment and what France Gallo is intending to do about that. But first of all, I put it to him that he must be extremely pleased and relieved to have the prospect of a full crowd Arc de Triomphe back under his watch. Well, yes, uh, that's true. Uh, we were, of course, both happy that the Arc would take place last year, uh, but disappointed that uh, we could only welcome uh, no more than uh, 1,000 people. So it's a totally different situation this year, much better, of course, uh, with no limitation in capacity. So it could be an Arc back to normal. Um, uh, and and, and uh, COVID figures are definitely reassuring here in France. Uh, the number of new cases is, uh, is sharply decreasing every day. And uh, you've got nearly 80% of uh, people aged above 12 that are now vaccinated. So I think, I mean, we, we, we start to live in a safer environment, especially in Paris. So it's, um, it's a good... Um, it's uh, it's a much better environment. I mean, to to go racing and enjoy the arc day. And I think that's probably the key difference, isn't it, between France and Britain? It's how many how many of those twelve to eighteens have been vaccinated? The the secondary school age children who are uh, the, the the most potent spreaders, I suppose. Well, yes, um, you know they pushed hard with this uh, health pass, uh, which really really uh, made people get vaccinated uh, during the summer. Uh, and, and that's why we are now uh, uh, at this level of, uh, um, of, 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 of percentage of people vaccinated. So, so that's really good. That's really good. And, and hopefully we can uh, now uh, get back to a normal life uh, and back to racing. Uh, so no limitation in capacity. You just have to, uh, to show either uh, a full uh, vaccination scheme um, or you you can show also a negative test, be it a PCR test or, or an antigen. So that and we'll have some some sorry we'll have some markies 
uh, in front of the gate to uh, to to enable people to do some uh, some tests just before going racing. I was going to say so for that huge British contingent who will want to come over for Arc Day and indeed from people anywhere anywhere in the world, they'll be able to walk up, but as long as they get tested in one of your facilities first. Yes. That's it. That's it. And of course, for for, for British people, uh, it's uh, it's obviously much better, much uh, more comfortable to get vaccinated because you have no no quarantine when you when you go back home. So so it could be very fluid for for those people traveling to uh, traveling to France. And and just in case there is a change uh, in in the restrictions in in Great Britain, because we we all know that uh, things can change overnight. Uh, and, and not always uh, on, in, in the good direction. Uh, just in case it happens, we will reimburse uh, all the, the tickets purchased online by, uh, by the British residents. Just tell me a little bit about how the, the pandemic has impacted on uh, gambling in France, either positively or negatively. Well, um, we, we, we've been through different phases. Uh, of course, uh, last year we had no racing at all for two months, basically, so that means no turnover at all. Uh, then when res- racing resumed in mid-May, uh, we were very positively surprised to see the Panthers back and, and, and we, we posted some, some pretty strong increases uh, uh, throughout the summer. And then we, we were back in lockdown, sort of lockdown uh, at the end of the year, which has lasted much longer than expected. This is why in the first five months of this year, uh, we had about three, three thousand and a half uh, outlets closed, all the bars and restaurants. And you have to know that in France, this is still where most people bet. Uh, so we make uh, about 80% of our turnover in the retail outlets. Uh, so, so that that closure, that shutdown of uh, all bars and restaurants, translated into uh, a, a decrease of fifteen to twenty percent uh, of the betting figures uh, every day. We are back to normal. Uh, all bars and restaurants are, are open, even with uh, the, the health pass mandatory for people getting in. Um, and, and now the, the trend is uh, is more like. Uh, plus 10% uh, compared to uh, 2019, uh, which is is pretty encouraging. Mm. It's very encouraging. And was it that that enabled you to make a a prize money announcement this week that was was quite positive? Yes, exactly. We... um, we, 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 you know, um, decided to, uh, to put in place uh, at the beginning of March what we called a, um, a withhold of uh, on average 15% of the prize money that is announced on the racing programs uh, just to make sure that we, we, we can manage uh, some, some lockdowns and, and what it means in terms of financial uh, heat for France Gallo. And because of this uh, encouraging trend and, uh, and and the forecast we can make uh, for for the total year, we we saw that we we were in a position to release half of this uh, amount of money that uh, that amounts to uh, more than fifty million euros, which is given back to owners, trainers who, who won races or, or having been placed since uh, the first of March, and uh, and that means more more prize money for 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 the rest of the year. Uh, and uh, Olivier, we we love coming racing in France. The the attraction is so clear. The prize money is fantastic. You have sp- superb animals racing for the Arc Trials this weekend. Yet, in terms of 
in terms of homegrown talent, there seems to be a, a little bit of a dearth at the moment. Does that does that worry you that there aren't those sort of really top notch international performers um, sort of coming through in France? Yes, of course, it's uh, it's an area of concern. Uh, I think it. Uh, in it's it's quite ironic to see that uh, in my view the, the 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 commercial breeding in France has been really really improving over the last years. Um, and uh, probably we have more of those horses exported uh, overseas uh, and, and maybe slightly less uh, in France than w- what we, we used to have. Uh, and I must say we are, we are a little, yes, worried and concerned about the, the, the declining competitiveness of our uh, uh, best horses uh, on the in, international scene. And there is most probably something to do with uh, the, the the bigger owners uh, and uh, and 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 how many horses and they, they, they send to France and uh, and try and attract more of these people uh, because at the end of the day, uh, not the bigger owners that that owns those horses that compete at the top level. Uh, and uh, and if you miss too many of them, or if you have only a small portion of the horses they have in training across Europe, then obviously you have less chances to be competitive in the group ones. So is there is there something that you're doing at France Gallo to try and redress the balance? Well, yes, I think it starts with prize money, but it's not uh, the, 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 the only factor. I think we... We, we have to, uh, to promote uh, our training centers. Uh, we, we have invested in, in Chanty in a new, uh, new, new track, some new facilities to, to improve uh, those facilities. Uh, we, we need also to, uh, to have some, some, some more young trainers that could be also attractive to, uh, to those owners uh, who want to send some horses to France. Uh, but that's not so easy because you, you cannot create uh, new trainers like that and uh, and it's not a product that you you can manufacture so so uh, it's a long-term process uh, to recreate all the the ingredients that will make uh, France uh, ever more attractive and and in a position to to attract more um, big owners and good horses. Uh, Lee Mossad, senior writer in the Racing Post, is with me this morning. Lee, you've been listening to what Olivier Delois had to say. Always very generous with his time. Things in France going extremely well, but they just could use some horses. Yeah, they really could. Um, I would concur with what you said about Olivier. I think he's an extremely um, impressive racing administrator. Um, and France Gallo is safe in his hands, but I'm afraid France Gallo can't trumpet, as you say, Nick, many um serious candidates at all for their biggest race the the, the pre de l'arc de triomphe it's, it's not just the 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 arc that middle distance sector in which which france has an absence of horses um they only had one runner in the pre de moulin recently um and now if i look down the the the, the anti-post betting for the arc on a on a leading odds comparison website, you scroll down and you have Snowfall and Adayar, Tana, Tanawa, Hurricane Lane, Wonderful Tonight, uh, Chronogenesis. Then you get Sadabad at 20 to 1, who's already been ruled out of the race. Uh, Rabiha, um, 20 to 1, goes to the pre Vermai this weekend, but was beaten, well beaten, in a very substandard pre Luc de Triomphe 
um, last season, which this year's race won't be. You've got Mario Stralis at 33s, but he's already been ruled out for the remainder of the season. You've got Gold Trip at 40 to 1. Well, he's been sold to Kira Ma and Harry Eustace to race in Australia. So he'll be going for the Cox Plate in October, not the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. So you've pretty much, Nick, got one French trained horse at less than 50 to 1 for the Arc, and that horse is already an outsider. Um, they desperately need something to come out of this weekend's Arc Trials of Amai, the Niel, and the Foi for them to have a realistic shot at, at winning the Arc. They have won the last two runnings of the race, but I think if you look at those races as a whole, the ones that Wallgeist and Sotsas won, they weren't great Arcs, and Abel didn't um, didn't run to her best in other race, other the races. Um, there is clearly an issue there and i think in a wider sense what's interesting is that you look at the the current strength of flat racing in in britain and ireland actually britain in particular because it it it, it links that debate about prize money you know we have we have major prize money issues but we are still getting these very good horses france is blessed with with prize money relative to us but they have they are struggling to mount serious challenges in a lot of their own races, including their premier contest. Um, and I, I, it, it, it's a really interesting subject and it does create questions for French racing. And it's very positive that Olivier Delois um, is, is admitting that they believe they have an issue and they have to try and tackle it. Other news today, and here's an interesting little story on what's a very busy racing week. The Jockey Club have announced, and this has just dropped in the last five or six minutes, that uh, the Guineas Festival will become a three-day meeting, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It, it, those with longer memories, Lee, will know that, that it used to be a three-day meeting back in, the, back in the day. Yeah, it always was, Nick. When, when, when I were a lad um, growing up, it was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday meeting. The Thursday was 1,000 Guineas Day. The Friday was headlined by the Jockey Club Stakes. And then the Saturday became, Saturday was 2,000 Guineas Day. Thereafter, it moved to a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday meeting with the Friday having the Jockey Club Stakes, Saturday the 2,000, the Sunday the 1,000. That changed um, in 2004. So I think 2003 was the final three-day guineas festival so this isn't a brand new idea this is reverting to something that has happened in the past um in terms of what the 2022 guineas festival will look like well, we still can't really tell you because interestingly although this press release has come out today on the same day the bha board will be uh, presumably looking to ratify the 2022 fixture list. Mm -hmm. They haven't actually said what will be taking place on the Friday, which I think is surprising. I think one might have imagined they would be able to say the Friday will feature, presumably the Jockey Club States will, will headline that Friday card, but they haven't outlined whether the Daily Estates, the New Market Estates, the Palace House or whatever will bolster that Friday card. So, so that's interesting. We await news on that. It, it, it mirrors, and, and Rod Street makes this point in the press release, it mirrors the fact that, or it, it supports the fact that three-day festivals are seen to be increasingly popular by racecourses. Um, it will be interesting what Newmarket can do with this as a three-day festival. Um, if you look at the attendances um, for the Guineas Festival at the moment as a two-day event, it roughly gets about 30,000 people over the two days. Many more for the Saturday than the Sunday. The last three conventional Guineas 
meetings, uh, 2019, 18 and 17. You had 16,000 on the Saturday, 12,000 on the Sunday in 2019, 17 and 13 roughly in 2018 and 19 and 10 in 2017. The Sunday tends to do better when um, when, it, when the bank holiday Monday on the following day because it increases crowds on that day. So they're looking at about 30,000 people. Well, presumably they'll be looking to, to increase that number as a whole over the three days. The most recent Friday, Saturday, Sunday Guineas Festival in 2003, the Friday had an attendance of 5,386 people. And again, as some sort of comparison, in 2019, the Phillies Mile Friday at, on the Future Champions Weekend had 7,500 people there. So getting people to Newmarket on the Rowley Mile on a Friday isn't necessarily the easiest thing in the world, even when you have quality racing. So it will be interesting to see what, what menu they try and put before uh, race goers on that Friday. Uh, and how many people actually attend. But what we should say, this this isn't a brand new idea. This is going back to what we had just under 20 years ago. Well, Lee, we've been building up to the, the Kazoos and Ledger, the Irish Champion Stakes, all week. The Ledger declarations are quite interesting. Four of the ten from Aidan O'Brien, one from Donica. So Aidan and Donica, half the field. Every single one of those horses has got either cheapskin cheek pieces or blinkers. It su suggests they're going to make this into a bit of a war for Hurricane Lane. Which, in some ways, is absolutely logical, isn't it? I don't, I don't think many people would uh, challenge the assertion that Hurricane Lane is the most talented horse in this St. Ledger, and in many ways, it is his race to lose. Um, and therefore, um, I think they probably will have to try and um, expose any potential flaws in him. He looks to me like a horse who has every chance of staying the ledger distance um but i'm sure that the ballydoll horses will 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 seek to to really pose him that question and we we've we've all seen over the years a number of participants in major racing in major races saying how difficult it can be when aiden o'brien goes into a group one race with a mass band um, it complicates a race for other horses um it just makes their lives more difficult it is a problem that charlie appleby and William Buick, I'm sure, would not want to be facing in this St. Ledger. Um, one just hopes that we get to the end of the St. Ledger and there are no there are no unfortunate debating points and that we have a, a race that, that we purely see that the, the best horse win the race. But it is an added complication um, for Hurricane Lane. It is indicative, I think, of the fact that that Aidan O'Brien and the, the Ballydor team will, will know that I think none of their four horses going into this race at the minute are proven superstars. They're, they're throwing as many darts at the board as they can, and they're perfectly entitled to do that. Um, and it will be it will be fascinating to see if, if for example, High Definition can suddenly become the horse that they, they've always believed he could be. I mean, he's looked for all the world like a horse who, who would need a race like the St. Ledger to possibly come into his own. Um, but it, 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 it's going to be an intriguing St. Ledger. And it's great, Nick, that we have a really classy, high-class, established Group 1 Monohalf horse going in the St. Ledger. Without Hurricane Lane, it would look a pretty uninspiring St. Ledger. With him in it, he paints, he puts a totally different um, picture on, on, on the race. It's great he's in there. 
Well, I am at the sales today, as I said at the beginning of the program, and as we are getting deep into sales season, we thank our friends at Millridge Farm for their support again. Millridge standing Oscar performance by Kitten's Joy out of the theatrical Mayor Divine Actress, a grade one winner at 2-3-4, a Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf champion, and at four, he set the world record at one mile on the turf, set at Belmont Park in 131-23, and all his races were won without race day medication. His yearlings will be presented at Keeneland September Sale. Well, as I say, it's a great pleasure once again to be here at the Goffs Yorton Sale, now in its third year. George Stanners is the director and auctioneer at Goffs UK. He's been instrumental, really, in, in setting up the sale alongside uh, David Futter, uh, the principal here uh, at Yorton. It's, it's a sale with a real difference, George, isn't it? It, it? it very much is, Nick. Traditional sales in big sales complexes and so on. You know, we've all been to those, but this was a, a unique idea. Uh, that Dave came up with a few years ago and there's a lot of hard work gone into to pulling it off uh, and the setting, the unique setting that we are in here in, in North Wales really does resonate with, with anybody that comes. We've got people here from France, Ireland and across the UK and nearly every single one of them, the first time they come, they just, you know, their eyes are standing out. Um, it really is a great venue. It's a wonderful setting. It's a fully restored Victorian model farm and home to upwards of 400 horses, six stallions here as well. But this is about selling the young stock as two-year-olds and yearlings. It represents a, an interesting and novel trading point for, for breeders and pin hookers in, in the UK and Ireland. It, it does. So every horse that's being offered at the sale today has, has been sourced uh, by David. It's either been raised here, bred here, um, and they you, you try and you know they source them from France, from Germany, um, and and a lot of homebreds here. As you say, there's there's lots of mares and, and, and good young stallions coming through. Traditionally, in national hunt terms, you would sell as a foal or maybe as a three-year-old store. This is unique in that Dave gets the horses going a lot earlier. They're all loose schooled, of which there's videos online um, in a lunch pen, and uh, essentially it's bringing the national hunt thoroughbred. Uh, just get him going a bit earlier um, and, and, and why not? Yeah, it's a concept which uh, I think more and more UK trainers are, um, are getting their heads into. Um, Tom, Tom George is an example. He sent a few horses across to France um, for his son to, to look after across there and now he's actively looking for two-year-olds to run as three-year-olds across in France rather than the traditional three-year-old store to perhaps run in a bumper at four. So, you know, it's, it's exciting. Well, the Kipco British Champion Series Hall of Fame made its long-awaited debut early in the year with the induction of Lester Piggott and of Frankel, and there are more inductees announced this morning, and part of the judging panel, uh, Bruff Scott, is with me now. Uh, Bruff, I don't think any of these names will take people hugely by surprise, but this certainly, this certainly warrants more than, a, more than a mention. And first of all, how, how happy are you to be part of the Hall of Fame? Well, I'm absolutely delighted because it's it's great. It's a little bit tweaking, I think, but it's to say it's a long overdue is an understatement. The Americans have had this since, since the 1950s. I remember being in Saratoga in 1980, and it'd be going 30 years thinking we must have this. I mean, people like me have failed to get it on, but it's up now. I, I think it needs really the, th the, the three horses of the person I'm going to talk to now. I mean, you don't need a panels of <laughs> in the Hall of Fame. They're in legend already, uh, and um, I'm delighted to talk about them. 
Bruff, who is the uh, one human uh, inductee to the to the Hall of Fame to, to sit alongside Lester Piggott? He is, in my view, and most people's view, the greatest trainer who ever lived, uh, Vincent O'Brien, who, if you remember, in 1948, his very first runner won the Gold Cup, Cottage Rake, who won three consecutive Gold Cups. He then won three consecutive champion hurdles. And then three consecutive Grand Nationals with three different horses. Switched to the flat. Ballymoss won the Arc de Triomphe and the second of the Derby won the Ledger. And he then moved on to, by 1968, he won the Derby second time with Sir Ivor, ridden by by uh, Lester Piggott and then in 1970 where we get to the first horse <laughs> inducted here Nijinsky and Lester Piggott and Vincent de Brown. and Vincent de Brown was a I mean he was a complete legend no one has done what he did and did it from a standing start it wasn't as if he inherited anything uh, it, it, he was completely unique and will it's an easy phrase but we will never see his like again you mentioned Nijinsky, a horse that he trained. Why is Nijinsky in the Hall of Fame? Because Nijinsky was one of the greatest horses who ever lived. I mean, yeah, I'm using superlatives, but I'm using them selectively here. Uh, Vincent O'Brien and Lester, forget, Lester Pickett rode his first winner the same year that um, same year the Cottage Rate won the Gold Cup, uh, and that was in he was 12 years old in 1958 he had his first ride for Vincent O'Brien which was on gladness which won the gold cup and but he and he switched age 30 he switched from the top English trainer he walked out on Noel Merlis who was like walking out on Goldstone really, and went across to Vincent O'Brien uh, and they had threatened with Sir Ivor and various others to to sort of have the, the greatest horse. And Nijinsky looked, and I can tell you the sort of buzz around. In, in 1969, there was this horse that won four races in, we didn't really know, we obviously we didn't have all this television and things then. Uh, we didn't, we knew there was another horse in, uh, in Ireland which was winning very easily called Nijinsky. He came over and he cantered up in the Dewhurst. I mean, he literally didn't come off the bridle. He cantered up in the Guineas. And the, I mean, the buzz about him, we're talking about 1970. We're talking about Pig as a legend, Mr. Brown a legend, and don't forget the Derby was on a Wednesday. It was on BBC and ITV, and it was the summer of the World Cup in Mexico. And the day before the Derby, Jeff Horse scored. <laughs> we beat, I think it was Romania. Uh, it was, you know, we. Were, and then Nijinsky was challenged by by both. By two top French horses, Frankel, both Frankel, <laughs> she as did he know. And for a moment, he looked like he might be in trouble. And then Worcester gave him one crack and he coasted home. And he went on, he won the Irish Derby on the bridle and he won the King George. You could never, if you look at the pictures, they still can't believe it. He beat, he beat Blake, the previous year's Derby winner, and other good horses but he, he literally beat them at the canter Pickett always made things look better but it was absolutely unbelievable and I believe there's no question that if he hadn't then been hit by ringworm and people forget he, he was so badly hit by ringworm that he was basically bald in August towards the end of August he still couldn't be ridden for more than 10 minutes without bleeding he won the St. Ledger uh, at, but he coasted home hidden by Piggott who didn't realise what had happened we never knew that he'd had this ringworm until later and you can't believe he only got beaten a short head in the arc and it was controversial that that didn't have some margin on it if he won the arc he'd have retired 
as certainly the most hailed horse ever. Because when you consider what he'd done, he'd gone right through Dewhurst, Guineas, Derby, Ledger, Ark. No horse had ever done that. I don't think any horse ever will do it, frankly. But uh, he, he blew out in the Ark. He was just going to be the short head. And they did a bold thing. They came back to try and go out with a winner. They came over to the Eclipse. And it was horrible to see, actually, Nick. He, he was absolutely, he, he was not too bad in the paddle. The moment he got out, of course, he went completely white with sweat. He was a complete wreck. And he got beat by a horse called Lauren Zakia, who was stone below him normally. Uh, and if that hadn't happened, you know, we'd have, and he would have retired to start then. There wouldn't be any question. But he was a, he was also an awesome horse. And he had Lester on him, who was a sort of, more dramatic as a jockey than anyone who's ever lived as well. So it was an extraordinary time. And it was my first full year flat racing. I just stopped riding and it was it was unbelievable. And I, I know that sounds like Rosie's spectacles, but I've thought long and hard about this. And the impact Rajinsky, his abilities we argue about, but his impact was bigger, much bigger than anybody else that summer. I mean, much, much bigger than Frankel because racing was so much bigger. It, it was huge. And you had a, a pretty good full first year as ITV as ITV racing anchor as well, Braff, 1971. Um, any, any good horses around in 71? Well, what was absolutely <laughs> astonishing, uh, again, people now to try and think, your listeners, that, that by the time Nijinsky won the King George, and people said, they literally, was, you know, was Nijinsky the wonder horse was the name around. By then... Two horses who were also horses of the century and are going to be in this Hall of Fame had already won twice. Uh, uh, Brigadier Gerard had won twice, once in Newbury, one at Salisbury. Small races, so he was, he was, he was an impressive-looking horse who's won for Dick Hearn and Joe Mercer and John Hislop, but you know, so what? Mill Reef was a little little tiny horse, 15-2, in a whole hand and a half smaller than Newski. He bolted up uh, first time uh, at Salisbury and he won the Coventry by six lengths and John Oakes who wrote in the Telegraph this is the most perfect little two-year-old I've ever seen and no one expected the one thing they thought he'd be a brilliant brilliant two-year-old which he was but the idea to end up winning the derby in the arc was amazing but he went on I mean he was an exceptional horse Mill Reef um, uh, and, and, and don't forget bringing that here I'll beat him absolutely fair and square in the Guinness. I mean, they were, to have those two horses within a year and running at the same time as Dijinsky was extraordinary. And of course, you think, I mean, me coming in full time, maybe this is going to happen, but you can't have a horse of the century every year. But we did have three of them in two years. It was quite extraordinary. Well, thanks to Braff, to George, to Olivier Delois at the beginning of the programme. Um, Lee is still with me and has a tip for you for today. Yeah, I do indeed, Nick. I am going to suggest that in the Park Hill Philly Stakes at 3.15 at Doncaster this afternoon, the Philly St. Ledger, I think Sabre Forest, trained by Roger Varian uh, in the Bill Gredley Silks. Um, she's a horse who hasn't actually had that much racing on turf this season, ran a, a fine race uh, in the, the Snowfall Dominated Oaks, after which she was successful in a new market listed race last time. Looks like the the Park Hill trip of one mile, six and a half, will suit her very well indeed. And with free wind dominating the market, I think you get a decent enough price about Saver Forest. So Saver Forest for me in the Park Hill at 3.15. Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back again tomorrow. Enjoy your day. That was Thursday, September the 9th. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.